Driving? No purchase necessary. You're listening to Radio Free Urbanism. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Radio Free Urbanism, a podcast about urbanism and stuff like trains, because we all love trains. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Williams, and of course, I'm joined by Ethan. Say hello, Ethan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. And our friend, Nick Laporte. Hello, and can I just say a big congratulations to our very own Ethan Myers. Just crossed 5,000 followers on YouTube. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Congratulations. Maybe if I post another video sometime, I might... uh, I might reach that goal someday. We'll see. You'll hit 10K after your next oh, video. Yeah, yeah. Uh, could you imagine? Could you? The next video I have is not going to the one that I'm working on right now. I know it's not going to be like a big view getter, but it's special to me. So stay tuned for that. Uh, we've got some interesting news to share on the show today. Some exciting things, some less exciting things, and some very optimistic things. So we'll get into it with a not exciting thing, kind of a sad thing and disappointing thing. Nick, if you want to take us away with the first story. Yeah, so this is something that I saw on the Toronto subreddit. And uh, this is something that's becoming a lot more common, and that's battery fires. So this video is actually on YouTube, and I'm going to share my screen right now and uh, just kind of loop this. Um, And this is a fire allegedly from an e-bike on the TTC and the TTC is the Toronto transit commission on the subway. Mm. And it's, it looks pretty bad. Um, it's certainly not a place that I'd want to be. Oh, this is definitely not what I wanted to. <laughs> what is this? Oh yes. Did anybody We're... see this self-balancing, uh, monorail? No. <laughs> anyway, <Okay>. sorry. Back <laughs> we'll to the, back to the fires. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a big problem. Um, and if you hadn't heard, I know in New York city, they had been dealing, they've been dealing with this. And last year they've had at least 14 people killed and 93 people injured from what they believe to be lithium battery fires. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's not great. It's not something we want to see. So it's, it's something I'm really concerned about, obviously, because it, it gives a bad image to micromobility in general, especially electrified micromobility. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, I just want to have a little PSA that we need to take into account what you're buying. Don't, I know it's tempting to buy the cheaper stuff. You'll see an e-bike or a scooter or electric scape or whatever it is that looks cheap. It looks faster than the more expensive one. It looks like a good deal, but it just might not be. You know, some if it is on Alibaba, probably not a good yeah. option. And even mm-hmm. on Amazon. So New York actually passed a law recently. So I'm gonna read here. This is uh, New York's City Local Law 39. It prohibits the sale, lease, or rental of e-bikes, electric scooters, and their batteries that do not meet specific safety standards, primarily those approved by the Underwriters Laboratory. That's the UL standard you usually hear about. And it's something that should be done like across the board. We need to make sure our batteries are safe. So this law aims to address safety concerns related to e-bike fires. And first-time violators receiving a warning, but violators can result in a fine up to $1,000 per non-compliant device. And uh, despite this law, companies like Amazon, Walmart, and eBay have continued to sell non-compliant e-bikes and batteries in New York City. And uh, apparently Amazon is the first one who's stopped doing that. So as of today, I'm not sure exactly which ones are or are not, but it's uh, that was a bit disappointing. So it's something to consider in the first place that we need to be buying lithium ion batteries that are going to be safe. They're going to pass these tests. But more importantly, we need to think about the technologies that we can move to that aren't going to have these problems. So that problem I'm talking about is called thermal runaway. And what happens if you've seen a video of this, I'm sure many of you have seen this video where somebody's sitting in their living room, there's an electric scooter or a bike there. And it basically just, it looks like we were talking about Oppenheimer before the, the show here. It just looks like just white light, like, and it's, it all catches on fire and the whole thing just goes. So that you, they can actually make, make batteries, rechargeable batteries that don't do that. And I can't remember which compounds they're called, but there's a company called Swifty and they actually won these startup awards at Micromobility America in this past October. And their scooter, I think it's called a G500, has a battery in it that does not suffer from this thermal runaway. It's like, it's basically impossible for it to happen. So it's much safer, but the problem is, and I think this is probably the reason why a lot of people and a lot of organizations aren't picking up these batteries is because they are actually bigger. The energy density is not as good as the traditional Mm. lithium ion batteries. Mm -hmm. And that's keeping them from actually using them. Obviously they're gonna get more dense, technology is gonna get better. 
but it's something to consider. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. so New York has these rules, but how is that really enforced? Because if you're in New York, you can just leave New York and bring this other thing in. Yeah. So I know that New York does actually quite a bit of pulling over e-bikes and stuff like that. So I really think a lot of that is probably up to local law enforcement on how they want mm. to enforce, you know, checking batteries and stuff like that. But um, that that would be my guess on that situation for enforcement, at least. I mean, honest, like, I don't know if they they really can't go into houses and search for that. But, you know, if they're on the street operating, you know, in a public space, then they can stop them and check and inspect. Yeah. And there's a lot of bodegas right. and, and small shops that offer illegal charging for delivery drivers where they have a basement full of batteries where they can just, you know, swap out batteries as they're working type of thing. Hmm. And that's also been a problem. Uh, but there's a video that's really worth watching. So this is from Micromobility America back in October. It's up on the Micromobility IO or is it Micromobility Industries YouTube channel. And it's with the fire commissioner from FDNY, I think uh, US DOT and somebody else. And I listened to it a while ago. I was there, listened to it live, but I, I listened to it again a little while ago. And they talk a lot about this stuff. I think their main main point is not to try to ban e-bikes or scooters or anything, but mm -hmm. obviously just to make them safer. And a big point of contact is just education and letting people know yeah. like why you should be getting a UL rated battery, why you should care about this and why you don't want these, you know, out of market batteries in your house because they're, yeah, they're I, deadly. Uh, yeah. And I imagine the place where it's most likely to happen is in your home while it's charging. Is that... Yeah, right? that's that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, get get yourself something quality. If you're worried about it, I know there are like some special things, special casings or something that you can get to kind of protect your home, protect your property um, from any potential fires. And obviously, it's important to note that if you're riding like a decent quality e-bike with like a Bosch motor or something, this probably isn't really going to be a big concern for you. Mm -hmm. These are like the cheap, mm -hmm. cheap things that we're, that we're mostly talking yeah, about. Yeah. And it's often people adjusting batteries, making their own batteries, Frankenstein batteries at home. That that's right. a very common thing too. Not that common, but you know, it's common enough that uh, it's becoming a problem. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just be safe. Concerning. But spend the extra money, get the good battery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's worth it. It's going to last you longer. It's, I mean, safer for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely. And again, I think uh, this is obviously the biggest concern is the safety. We don't want to see people getting killed from fires from micromobility. This is something we want to be safe in our community, like out yeah. on the streets and mm -hmm. at home. But the thing that really bugs me is the bad press it brings. And this is the same thing you get with electric cars. And I feel like when it comes to fires and electric cars, it gets over publicized. One Tesla catches on fire and it's like on every news page across the mm -hmm. internet. Mm -hmm. And I don't. Obviously, I don't like that. That's not what I want to see. This is not the movie we want. We don't, we're not looking at, you know, what's not getting publicized every day is how many people are being killed in cars and just traditional cars, any gas cars, gas yep. cars exploding, people getting run over. It's just, it just annoys me a little bit. That's all I want to say. Yeah. 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 Thanks for uh, bringing that, Nick. I've got a bit more of a positive story to share, and that is that the green line in Calgary, Calgary's new LRT line, is beginning construction in 2024 of phase one. And of course, I don't know if you guys missed it this past week or not, but the uh, the year changed. It is now 2024. So that means this year, the green line will begin construction, and I could not be more excited. This portion, phase one, is going to run from uh, Eau Claire, down to Shepherd Station, which if you're not in Calgary, and even if you are in Calgary, that might mean nothing to you. Basically, it runs from downtown to the southeast, not all the way down south as far as it's going to go, but it's going to go down to the southeast to Shepherd, where, which is where they're going to have, um, what do you call their like big transit hub where they park the trains and work on them and stuff? The shop. I I believe, yeah. The so shop. We'll call it's it the, the it's shop. It's the train shop, basically. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's going to be down at the depot, Shepherd. Depot, the depot. Sorry, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, a lot of terms. So that'll be at <laughs> Shepherd. Um, and so it'll it'll end there. It's going to be a big, big transit shop. And uh, I'm very, very excited for it. 
I'm just sad that it's not it's not quite going to my childhood neighborhood. So I'm going to have to wait a little bit longer for that station to be built. But that's some good news for us. Um, yeah. Any question? Any questions about this? I'm like your your Calgary so, ambassador. Well, give us. I want a bit more context about. I've I've ridden it, but just for for the wider audience, what's the what's the context of the transit in Calgary? What is this line exactly? So Calgary Transit right now, as it stands, we have two LRT lines, the red line and the blue line. We also have a few max lines, which are kind of a BRT-ish, depending on which section of the line you're on. Uh, And then the green line is going to make a huge difference. It's actually, I forget what the stats are. I'll have to find some stats, but um, it's going to serve a ton of Calgarians. And here's the thing, guys, this line... The first study for it was done in the mid late uh, mid to late eighties, uh, so this is a long time coming, like like a very long time coming. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and on certain segments of the line, you as you're driving down those roads, you can see like, hmm, that's a really wide right of way. I wonder what that's for. It's for the train. It's for the train. We've known this train <laughs> was going to be here for decades and decades. I remember growing up asking why there was this huge wide patch of grass on the side of 52nd Street. Why is there so much grass there, Dad? And it's for the train. It's for the train, son. And I cried because I love trains. And, uh, and so we're, it's finally coming, um, and it's going to fill in a huge gap. Uh, Calgary Transit actually has a very successful light rail. I think it is the third most ridden light rail in North America. Wow. Uh, so it's very busy really? and it's just, it's just two lines. Yeah. It's incredible. See, that's got my mind blown because I'm just like, all right, I, I'm just trying to imagine because at the moment that I know LA and San Diego are actually the top two. So I'm just trying to so, think Calgary at three. I'm like. Yeah. So uh, annual ridership for 2022 for our light rail ridership is uh, almost 62 million rides. That's a lot. That's pretty good. LRT lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a busy, it's a busy train. Um, yeah. So according to Wikipedia, it's Guadalajara, Calgary, Toronto, then San Diego and Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I did not realize its ridership was that high. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're doing all right. So I'm really excited to have this, this uh, third line coming in and it's looking like it'll be around 2030 that the first rides really start start going on that although in the podcast i listened to which i'll link in the show notes it's the calgary eye opener podcast um the the guy in charge of the project he was hesitant to give any firm dates on on this but this one is also different from the other light rail lines in calgary because this one uh, is low floor the other ones are high floor Oh, like nice. Um, mm. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to see, see the, the low floor trains coming in on this. Um, should make, make the platforms a little safer, I think, for a, for a light rail train, especially since we don't have like uh, the, uh, the, what do you call the, the platform screen doors? Yeah. PSDs. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited for this one. That is awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Whenever it's finished. Is it going to have the same uh, is it going to have the same rolling stock as the other two lot? Uh, wait, you just said no, low floor, yeah, high floor, it, so no. Yeah, cuz it's low floor. So so the rolling stock for this one is coming from CAF in uh in Spain. So, so do you know what the other ones are from? For the The other uh, ones, they're Siemens, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and they've been running for a long time. They still have a few of like the oldest trains running running on there that's the thing i think a lot of people miss out uh on how long trains actually last mm-hmm. uh, if the if the transit mm-hmm. service keeps them up well these things these things last 30 plus years so i was in st louis over the summer and they have a light rail system there and they're actually still running some of their original rolling stock from when they opened in the early 90s yeah yeah. But you wouldn't even know because they had gone through like a renovation in like the mid 2010s mm. and are actually they're they're still really nice. They're getting a new fleet actually. That got announced a few weeks ago, but 
Um, yeah, it's it's crazy how long a light rail can last and how good it can look if it's well maintained too. And I assume this yeah. is not like a ship of Theseus situation where most of it's being replaced. Like a lot of it is actually no, intact. No. A lot of it, yeah, from the original trains is still intact. A lot of them still have the original like outside paint too, which is crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, if you take care of your stuff, guys, like it'll it'll last you a long, long while. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see see more trains coming to Calgary and fill in some of the gaps that we have. Uh, maybe I, I think a video I'll make sometime on, on my own is some of the some of the areas that will be will be served by by this train. So I'm very optimistic about it. Um, but a train that I'm not optimistic about, I'm well, I'm hopeful, but <laughs> I don't know if I can be optimistic is the train between Calgary and Banff. Uh, if anybody's ever been to Calgary, it was probably to get to Banff. I've met several people who told me they've been to Banff, but never been to Calgary, which is a lie because to get to Banff, you have to fly to Calgary. Uh, and then, of course, drive to Banff. Uh, there's been talk of a train going out there for a long while, but apparently our tourism minister is not sold on it, which is depressing. Uh, Ethan, if you had to sell uh, Alberta's tourism minister on a train to Banff, what would you say? Um, hmm. I don't know. Is he is he one of those like Alberta oil guys? Because I know Alberta is kind of kind of similar he, yeah. to the Texas of Canada. <laughs> he he might he might be. Honestly, I don't know that much about the guy. If you had to sell somebody on it, though. Um, well, if you're going to sell people, if you're just going to sell tourists, then, you know, you get the whole wonderful, you don't have to rent a car, mm -hmm. you don't have to drive there, you don't have to find parking, you can get food on the train, it's very comfortable, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can sell people who are visiting tourist sites on trains, I mean, it's a great way to get people to tourist destinations. Yeah, yeah, it is fantastic. Uh, Nick, what about, what about you? What would you say? To, to sell the world on the train to Banff. Trains are better. That's all you have to like. Train, trains, trains are just better. better. Like, come on. It's true. It's true. Anybody, train, train good, car bad. Anybody who's ever been to Banff knows how insane the traffic is there because it's just full of cars. Nick, have you, have you been to Banff, Nick? I have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's bananas with cars. It's insane. I we had one yeah. of them. We brought one of the cars. Yeah. 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 We thought we were helping. To get there. <laughs> yeah if you've been to any national park ever canada or the u.s mm -hmm. it's the same mm -hmm. thing yeah it's all cars yeah same thing yellowstone how often do you go to yellowstone as just a line of of cars all the way through the park it's brutal uh and so a train would help alleviate that one of the biggest things people bring up of course is the train won't make money right you're gonna have to make the ticket prices so high that it won't make money which to that I say, uh, this isn't meant to be a profit center. This is meant to be a cost center uh, where we are putting in money here as this part of the system so that we gain more elsewhere in the system. It's the same as advertising, right? All these people just have, all these people who are against trains just do not understand ancillary economic benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't have to have the train make money. If it's making more money for everything else there. Mm -hmm. It's the same with highways, right? And it's the same yeah, argument. Yeah. You'll get that argument when you start talking about trains or you talk about the cost of highways. Well, now people say, oh, well, think about all the, the things you get from highways. Things get shipped to you. you everybody benefit, benefits from highways. And it's like, yeah, that's what we're trying to say about the trains. That's what, that's what we're doing here. That's why we're going to build it. It's going to be better for yeah. everybody. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I want the train so that I can get to Banff comfortably without a car. I won't have to park a car. I won't have to maneuver a car through the traffic there. Mm -hmm. And in the summers, they've already closed down car traffic on Banff Ave, which is the main avenue uh, in, in the town site. Uh, it, it's only for pedestrians, cyclists, and the electric transit buses that, uh, See, that go through. That is exactly like Zion National Park in Utah. It's this really beautiful Canyon National Park. Mm -hmm. But like the only way that you can realistically get into Zion Canyon is by taking either their electric shuttles, e-biking or hiking in mm -hmm. or just normal biking, too, because it just there's not any way that you can get that kind of capacity in there. Now, to get to the park, you still have to drive there. 
And there's a huge parking lot outside of the main canyon, which is, you know, great use of our natural lands, you know, just putting giant parking lots on them. But I wonder if there was a way that we could maybe get more people to our national parks without having to, you know, have everybody drive there. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, trains. We can still use buses, too, if capacity can't meet it. Mm -hmm. Now, capacity will always meet it because national parks are incredibly popular. Mm -hmm. But the train, any way to get their car free is great. Yeah. So one thing, one thing that the tourism minister said is that the parks are very full. And the thing is, they're mostly full of cars. And I do, it's important to remember that humans, just our feet and the garbage we bring along with us, regardless of our cars, regardless of our infrastructure, we're destructive, right? You get a lot of people digging a trail, right? Uh, You know, killing native wildlife and plants and stuff, disturbing the habitat. That, that, That is a real issue. But cars do that on a significantly greater scale. Uh, and so if we were able to train into these areas or e-bike or however we get there more sustainably than cars, I think that's a plus. There are also ways to mitigate traffic in these areas, human traffic, not car traffic, human traffic in these areas. You can limit, you can just say there's a cap on the number of people who can come here. You can just say that, right? It's it's a national park. You can just say, hey, listen. We, we have a limit in order to protect the environment. One thing recently that was done was uh, Parks Canada closed the uh, Moraine Lake Road to personal vehicles. Moraine Lake, you I promise you, if you have been on the internet, you have seen a picture of this lake. It is Reddit Lake. If you Google Reddit Lake, a picture of Moraine Lake will come up. That's, that's how popular this lake is on the internet. Uh, Ethan's Googling it now. Uh, so <laughs> I, know, I know exactly what it looks like. So, but, yeah. so uh, Moraine Lake, I just see. in 2023, the, the road was closed to personal vehicles. There are shuttles that you can pay to take you up there. You can also ride your bike up there. Uh, there are e-bikes that you can ride up there. So you can still get there. Uh, but they just said, you know what? It is too busy with cars. And, uh, and so they just... They said no to car traffic. They already did something like that. And I think that is something that they could do in Banff as well, except for obviously the residents there, right? Wait, 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 Alex, you're telling me that a place closed down car traffic Mm -hmm. and it saw increased business because people saw an opportunity to do a thing like renting e-bikes and regular bikes. Yes, no way. Yes way. No way closing down a road increased business in <laughs> that the That never area. happens. It, <laughs> never. It also increases fun cuz e-bikes are a great time. Oh, and yeah. yeah, you're in the mountains, oh, but yeah. if you're riding around on an e-bike, you can crush those hills oh, uh, pretty comfortably. Absolutely. There's no worry. It's so much yeah. fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. But you know what the thing that bugs me the most about this whole thing is that we don't have this lake on our money anymore. It used to be on the back of our money. Like, why isn't it there? Come on. Like, they got the Huge new bills. Mistake. I get it. The Canada arm. Huge Canada mistake. armor. Would, would you say they get the train on there? I get the trains are awesome. I get it. But like, come on. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful lake. It's untouchable. It's true. So I am hopeful that someday this will be built. But I think we need to put a little bit more effort into communicating that this is something that we value and that we care about. And I also think people need to start seeing this infrastructure as not just a money pit, but an investment uh, for for the province, for mobility freedom and for people getting around. Um, and f- yeah, for my American viewers, there are actually two national parks that you can get to by train that I know of 100 percent. There's Grand Canyon National Park. You can take the Grand Canyon Railroad. Hmm. They do a really fun thing where they run old like 20s Pullman cars on it and like old it's like a it's basically a railroad museum that kind of does like a fun thing to get to the national park. It's not the cheapest in the world, but it still gets you there car free. And then there is um why am I blinking out? Glacier National Park in Montana. You can take the Empire Builder there either from Chicago and Minneapolis or Seattle to get to that park. Huh. I did not know that. All right. Well, add those to my bucket list. Uh, actually, we'll just add those to 
like the podcast budget, I think. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's something we... We'll have to investigate. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We need to... Looking into it. We need to experience this for ourselves. Um, but speaking of experiencing things, we experienced some listener mail because, I mean, we've got so many huge fans out there. Uh, so thanks, guys, for writing into us. We have some comments to share with you guys. If you want to write into us, you can comment on our YouTube video. Uh, it's at Radio Free Urbanism. And you can also send us an email at radiofreeurbanism at gmail.com. So, Ethan, if you want to take us away. You can also further. DM us on Inst- on Instagram yeah. at Radio Free Urbanism. I will check that and we will well, we'll all check it and then we'll see that listener mail there too. Ethan but will check it. Our first piece of listener mail, yes, <laughs> comes from Austin over on over in our YouTube comments and he commented regarding cycling around Vegas. It seems like an underrated place to cycle with some huge attractions nearby, Red Rock Canyon, Hoover Dam, and Mount Charleston. And with a growing network of separated cycling infrastructure like the Beltway Trail or Wash Trail, which has a lot of bridges slash underpasses on the intersecting roads. Yes, I'm going to be a psych- the psycho that attempts climbing Lee Canyon with my bike. Now, he's not wrong on that. There is actually a lot of really cool places that you can cycle to in Vegas on the edge of the city, and he named quite a few of them. I've been to Red Rock Canyon with my e-bike. Absolutely amazing experience. Highly recommend. Um, there's one right by my house called the River Loop Trail, and it's a 30-mile round-trip trail that goes by Lake Mead. And through some of the mountains to the east of Vegas, really beautiful experience. But yeah, I mean, uh, also got to say Lee Canyon, um, very bold. Hope you have either e-bike or absolute leg muscles for days because that is a climb. <laughs> what? I, I, tell, tell us about Lee Canyon. So Lee Canyon is essentially a, I believe it's about an eight mile road with about an 8,000 foot elevation gain. It essentially takes you up into Mount Charleston. Wow. Which is the highest mountain around Las Vegas. Now that peak is above, or it's almost at about 12,000 feet, which is pretty damn high. Um, I can't do the meters conversion in my head right now, but yeah, I mean like I, the road ends at about 8,000 feet and then you take hiking trails up from there if you want to summit the mountain. But yeah, I mean, if you're up for that challenge, I mean, it's a real, it's a real challenge. There really isn't a whole lot of trail like bike trail up the mountain itself but i mean there are a lot of nature trails around here like red rock canyon has some decent separated bike infrastructure um the area around hoover dam and lake mead has a ton of trails that you can go to for cycling hiking anything like that and like i said on the last episode las vegas is really great on the edge of the city for bike infrastructure the closer you get to downtown on the strip the worse it gets it's just Hmm. the opposite of most places right yeah. So when when I was in Las Vegas, this was years ago. I I role played. I, I cosplayed being a goddamn red blooded patriotic American, and I rented a convertible Chevy Camaro because that's what you do. And I had a great time nice. seeing these places. But I, I went to Red Rocks. I went to see the Hoover Dam, and I can only imagine how much more fun it would have been on a bike, especially Red Rocks. When you when you go through Red Rocks on a oh, in a re- car, it feels like. You know what it feels like when I think about it? It reminds me of Jurassic Drive Park. Nature. It's weird. Like there's this black tarmac that's just like weaving through like a rock garden. It felt so unusual. It didn't feel like I was really in nature. I was looking at it from afar, even though I was in a convertible car. It doesn't matter. I don't know. It was a little weird. It's kind of – it's a really incredible experience. For anybody who doesn't know, Red Rock Canyon is just this – it's not really so much a canyon. It's more or less just like a, a very small valley between these huge mountains. Mm. And it is, it's got a 15 mile, um, like loop for cars, but it also is open to cyclists too. And it's wide enough to where cars have their, basically their own lane and then cyclists have their own wide lane as well. It's a really incredible experience. If you're ever in Vegas, I highly recommend renting e-bikes and going out there because it is beautiful. It's probably like the highlight of like nature around here. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. And it's nice. Um, it's nice that it's accessible in in, yeah, it in that way too. Um, yeah. So we wish we wish Austin good luck um, on on his cycling. Uh, I'm not a sports cyclist. He's I, got it. But Austin, <laughs> I believe in him. Austin, Austin goes pretty hard. Uh, he he knows what uh, what he's about. Uh, we've got another comment from Jen on on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, she says. 
One variable or nuance that may not be factored into the walk score is winter maintenance. A perfect accessible sidewalk or micromobility lane turns into a hazard and in some cases completely inaccessible due to lack of snow and ice clearing maintenance from the city or from property owners. This is a huge issue and a great point that Jen brings up, of course, um, you know, walk score is not going to go and analyze and audit everybody's, uh, everybody's winter clearing every, every year. Um, but this is, this is a big issue, uh, making sure that, that pathways remain accessible at all, at all times of years. You, you've probably noticed, uh, if you're walking around the curb cutouts that are designed so that wheelchair users, uh, people using walkers, uh, people pushing strollers can get through and across the street comfortably and easily from one sidewalk to the other sidewalk on the other side of the street. Those often get covered up with uh, with snow, with big snow mounds in front of it. And I know this might not be a huge issue to my co-hosts um, because they live in places that don't experience those issues as much. Uh, it is a big it is a big issue, and I can manage through there fine. But if I ever broke my leg or something or had another issue that limited my mobility, become a huge problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something I've noticed recently, too. I've been slowly orange pilling my wife. And we went to the grocery store the other day. And we just walked there. And there's a curb cutout. But it was a really bad one. And I noticed it. I just looked at it. Whatever. I'm like, that's not good. Like, you had to – if you were trying to cross in one direction, it was totally fine. But you go in the other mm-hmm. direction, you kind of had to go around – if you were in wheelchair or something, like you just couldn't go straight across the the crosswalk. And then she pointed, she's like, that's not very good. And I'm just like, yeah. you know, quietly kind of just proud. I'm like, nice. I'm like, <laughs> she's not even noticing a crappy curb cut. I'm like, I'm doing something right. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah. this is something. So I uh, keep shilling for myself, but my recent video, I went to, to walk score a bit from my recent video when talking about the top 10 bicycling cities in North America. And this is something I, I kind of thought too is, how WalkScore might not have that kind of built in, but I think it is sort of built in, at least when it comes to to bike score, is that the modal share will dip in the winter if it's not adequate in some cases. Mm-hmm. And that might reflect it a bit. And that's just only one port. It's not WalkScore, it's bike score. So it's only when one portion of the website, but that's one way it might be kind of integrated into the score. Maybe that's just my my thought. Yeah. 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 It, it. I don't know. It's... um. The the winter maintenance stuff because I know there's the there's the video um, about how they do how they do their stuff in Finland right and how it's this amazing city to cycle around in the winter um, but every every city has different winter conditions we know Montreal for example gets a ton of snow Quebec City gets even more snow than Montreal Calgary doesn't get a lot of snow but we have these weird freeze thaw cycles throughout the winter because we get schnooks. also insane brutal cold right right like we get so in calgary we get these things called chinooks they're a warm wind that comes off of the mountains and it can warm the temperature 30 plus degrees in an hour um and and it gets pretty intense like you could have snow one day and then the the next day you're walking around in your t-shirt um, and the paths are dry and clear. So each different place, I think, needs to figure out what kind of snow maintenance and snow clearing is going to work with them uh, so that they can make paths that are accessible throughout the year. Just not salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I want to do some research into uh, what's some good ways to, uh, to clear the paths because it gets to be a mess. Um, Ethan, you should come yeah. visit me in the winter. Uh, spend spend a winter here, and uh, <laughs> we can see how it goes. Winter in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> spend well, the last five years in Florida and Nevada. I'm gonna die. Do it for the podcast. <laughs> do it for the podcast. Exactly. Ethan. Research. Uh, yeah, it's for research purposes. I'll put you up. I've I've got a couch and a couple extra air mattresses. Let's go. <laughs> um, so next, though. We've got a story from Milwaukee with uh, Ethan here. He'll fill us in. So I was scrolling Twitter like one does, and I came across a wonderful tweet from a city I used to kind of live relatively close to. I've been to it quite a few times, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
And it is pretty well known for having this urban freeway called I-794. Now, if you're from the Milwaukee area, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every single Milwaukee urbanist wants to set dynamite under this freeway purely because of how pointless it is. But I saw this video on Twitter and it was this video. A car had gotten into a car fire on I-794. I'm going to share my screen if I can figure. Here we go. I like the idea of getting into a car fire. So, yeah, getting into a car fire by pure accident, but it comes to us from Sean Rowland over on Twitter, and it is this car fire happening, but as you can see, traffic is still moving forward in both lanes, unimpeded, because of how empty this freeway is and how pointless it is. Yeah. Yeah. It is literally, it's a freeway that is so pointless that, like, no one uses it. Like, it's it's that point. And there's currently an ongoing debate. I don't know if it's still going on, but it was either for repairing parts of 794 or straight up just that. the Sorry, I forgot to keep playing the video. No. But, no. Uh, yeah. Um, the point of it was is that there's currently like an ongoing debate from everything that I've seen about the city of Milwaukee wanting to repair the freeway for $350 million since it's kind of going into disrepair since it has these crazy overpasses over downtown. But there's a lot of urbanists in the city of Milwaukee who want this freeway completely removed. Now, there is a portion that's currently being studied for removal. I don't think the whole thing is being studied, but there are a lot a lot of urbanists in Milwaukee and the Midwest in general who want this freeway completely removed. God, it's just insane to see from the air. So I'm not that familiar with Milwaukee, but it's not that uncommon. Any kind of city in North America, for the most part, is going to have something like this. But how close this insane spaghetti bowl is to the downtown core of Milwaukee is just a disgrace. So you can see that big extension yeah. heading towards Lake Michigan is where it connects to the I-794. It just, yeah, it seems so pointless because a lot of it just kind of looks like a shortcut over top of industrial land. That's what it looks like from from the maps, so right? So it was originally supposed to go significantly further south and pretty much be like a whole lakefront freeway across the south shore of Milwaukee. Here, I'll get this pulled up on, uh, on camera for us, guys. Uh, give me one second here. Here we go. So we have I-794 right here. It starts at this interchange with I-43 right here. Cuts Are, through downtown, if you guys can see my cursor. But it kind of cuts through downtown. I can't see your screen, Ethan. Oh, you can't? <laughs> of course it's not sharing. Oh, my goodness. That, that's why I shared the video here we go. before. Here we go. I'm sorry. I thought oh, it was sharing it. earlier. He's got it. Okay, but if you can there, see, there if you can we see go. Now, it's it's like, coming up. There we go. Okay, perfect. If you can see here, I'll get my, my cursor here, but it starts at this interchange with I-43, kind of cuts through downtown right here, and then cuts south over basically the port of Milwaukee all the way down and just kind of ends here. Just kind of oh. ends by Three Brothers right here, this little restaurant. But yeah, it's not it's not long. It's not a long highway. It's pretty useless, actually. That's There's weird. A, yeah, it's it's one of those projects that kind of just like it was supposed to be a part of a larger urban freeway network, but got canned like halfway through it. Right. And there was actually some highway that did exist in Milwaukee that has been removed. I think it was part of a downtown bypass. But Milwaukee is a city that really has not been afraid of highway removal, which is interesting Yeah, because this is very much a project that honestly, I think they should just completely rip apart the whole thing. Yeah, because it, it is. It doesn't really look useful. No, it's like not. it doesn't. It, that's why like it might it be a go anywhere for some people who live kind of closer to the lakefront in the south. But really, it's not. I feel like that's not a huge deal it, breaker. It's kind of the freeway to nowhere of Milwaukee. Like if you guys know, Baltimore has this like mile and a half freeway that was supposed to be like really long, but got canned by, you know, anti-freeway activists. It's essentially kind of in the same boat. It just doesn't really have a purpose. It's kind of past its prime, doesn't really have the traffic that people were expecting to see on it. And realistically, at this point, it should just be torn down. I mean, there's no point in keeping it up. Well, and also I remember I remember driving or being driven through this area as a kid because my family used to take vacations up to like near door County, Wisconsin. All my Midwesterners know this is like, it's like the beachfront Haven of Milwaukee and like Mm. Lake Michigan on that side. But I would always see this freeway out the window and I'm like, Oh, I wonder why we're not going over that bridge. Cause it runs parallel to I 43. If you can see on that map. Right. 
Yeah, it, that's kind of interesting. Uh, it's also elevated. Is it elevated for most of its run? It's elevated for its entire run, actually. Really? Wow. That's ex- it is a that's, fully elevated downtown freeway. That is very expensive. That's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's And they had, for the bridge that goes over the mouth of the Milwaukee River, they had to make it large enough so that way, you know, Lakers could go underneath it. Right, right. Full on, like, cargo ships on Lake Michigan. Yeah, yeah. That definitely seems like... Uh, Seems like an easy thing to just say, you know what, we're going to tear this down because keeping it up for another, you know, 30, 50 years. Um, I don't. Yeah. But of course, I, I don't live there. So it'd be interesting to hear from somebody who lives in the area. Any of uh, our Milwaukeeans to yeah. give us a better fill in on this project. But I've just I remember seeing it before. I've seen all the rethink I-794 projects, which honestly, great idea. But hopefully... Because I'm just confused at the information. I've heard conflicting reports of like, oh, I-794 is getting taken down or it's getting a $350 million repair. We'll just have to see just from some people who are on the ground there. Yeah. yeah. Tear it down. Tear, Tear it, it down. down. Tear it down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That is uh, That is maybe something hopeful, I think. Something a little optimistic. Who knows? Maybe... Maybe in a decade or two, it'll be something beautiful. I do know a very beautiful. short portion of it is going to get torn down from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, hopefully Milwaukee can restore its downtown grid just a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be nice. It, it's it's on a city that's building a lot of light rail for itself and yeah. building BRT networks. Very promising Midwestern city. Yeah. And it's yeah. something where you can see how it changes the fabric of the city. You know, like what's the one in Seattle that got torn down? Is it like along Alaskan Way um, or something? Alaskan yeah. way, Alaskan viaduct, yeah. So obviously they had some kind of alternative. They built that tunnel, and that was kind of the the trade off that they had. But just just looking Speaking at it, of yeah, go ahead. Full on freeway removal. The best one that I've seen so far is Rochester. Mm. I haven't seen that. They removed a portion of their ring freeway around downtown, hmm. and they full on turned it into dense mixed use walkable developments. Really. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. And then also Detroit's looking at removing one of its downtown freeways too. Probably a good idea. That's great. That that is that is fantastic. Honestly, Detroit's like on the like the short list of places I need to visit soon cuz like I really yeah. want to yeah. see what's going on there right now cuz I feel like it's really it's on the upswing. <laughs> I need to check it yeah. out. Yeah. Which yeah. is a long time since it's, I've been. It's exciting to see um some of the stuff happening here and I'm I'm really optimistic uh that we can do this sort of thing. I know uh City Nerd just published a new video, uh, Why Aren't Amazing Public Spaces Car-Free? Uh, this is a huge problem in the U.S. and Canada. I know Nick commented on one of my videos when I talked about uh, Calgary's car-free street. We have one avenue, Stephen Ave, that is car-free, and Nick mentioned that Vancouver doesn't have a single car-free street. None. No, no, we have Granville, which is like the main strip downtown Vancouver on the peninsula, which does become car free sometimes uh, much of not much of it, but there's a portion of it kind of in the mid to uh, eastern part of the town where it's only buses and only taxis are allowed on that part of the street. Hmm. And at night, I don't think I think it's only on some weekends or holidays. They'll actually shut down the street. Nobody's allowed on it. That's just what they they shut it down past that time but but generally other places like it, it doesn't exist and there's like two places that i think could be full-time well granville obviously but also robson which is a bit farther uh to the northwest but granville island is the number one place where i'm like let's get cars the fuck out of here like it's insane so granville island is one of like so for example that video that's uh city nerd ray posted today i only watched the first part of it but he talks about pike place and that's kind of his case study from what mm-hmm. I understood, I only watched the first five minutes before we started the show. Uh, it's it's a lot like that. It's it's a market. It's it's a place where people go to walk around, to have a coffee, to buy things. It's a it's also a tourist des- destination. But for locals, people like me, I like to go down there, just have a coffee, and walk around and people watch. It's a great place. But there's a big problem. There's massive cars driving around this tiny little spot. Why can't we make it car free? It's insane. It just drives me mental. So- <laughs> Yeah, I was I was in Seattle this summer, too, and I obviously had to go to Pike Place. But, um, yeah, I did notice that the cars are really infuriating there. Like, there's absolutely no reason why cars should be there. Like, it's 
it, like it, it is just so infuriating when it comes to it because I just don't understand why they're there. Yeah, it's it's insanely valuable. Yeah, insanely valuable space where somebody could park their car for three dollars an hour. It's just ins- it's and yeah, anyway, yeah. what's even crazier too is speed limits are ten miles an hour there. So there's really no reason why you'd want to cut through yeah. there. Right. Yeah. Right. Why would you want to to do that to yourself anyways? Um, this is why this is why I'm giving the award to best city market in North America at a Reading Terminal in Philly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that on my list right now. I I'm, I'm like making this list Redding of places Terminal I have to visit. Reading Terminal is amazing. <laughs> this summer. And underrated place if you ever find yourself in Los Angeles is Central Market. Central Market. Yeah, I'll put All that right. on the list too. We we have a long uh, list of places to to go, so uh, we better start getting I'll, some. I'll be back there eventually. S- some of that WEF money or or uh, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever's going to fund this podcast. Totally. They just the WEF isn't paying out like they used to. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, they did give me this really nice plushie, though. I will say that <laughs> so nice. <laughs> um, I do. I do want to mention like. We're, we're talking about these, uh, you know, going car free and these these removing highways and, and stuff like this. Uh, and one thing that City Nerd mentioned in his video was the uh, the retractable bollards that uh, you see go up and down in Europe to allow permitted vehicles into the area. Those can be delivery cars. Those could be taxis, buses. It could be uh, the cars of people who live there. When I was in the Netherlands last year, I stayed in a town called Weert in the in the bottom of the Netherlands in the south, and uh, it's got a population of forty thousand people or fifty thousand people, and they've got like a whole whole network of just like just walkable streets in the middle mm-hmm. that just there there's just no cars, and it was a be- you know beautiful day, and people are out walking, and it's. It's quiet and it's pleasant to be there. We can create those spaces too. It's not like like we're not locked into this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we don't have to stick with how how things are. We can create beautiful spaces as well. So I'm optimistic, um, but it's it's too bad that so many obvious things, right? Removal of I seven nine four and uh, pedestrianizing Pike Place. It's it's disappointing that uh, that these things haven't happened that obvious you know they things. seem obvious at least right uh, some people will be yeah. completely against it but yeah. i think what we can do is at least do pilots so at least here in vancouver we do car free days i know that we have uh, kitsilano or Catsilano festival it's just like a, a one or two day thing in kitsilano they shut down fourth they do a car free main street i went to that last summer it was fantastic it's it's mm-hmm. happening it's so inc- it's unbelievably yeah. busy it's amazing and it's so much fun yeah would that happen every day no, of course not. But we can do pilots. You can shut down a, a particular road just for, for a month. Say, we're going to do a car-free Robson for one month and just see what happens. See how it affects yeah. business. Is it go up or down? Yeah. Is it going to affect traffic in a way that's just not doable? Like we can try these yeah. things out and then remove yeah. them if it doesn't work. And we have so many non-arterials that we can do this on too. And we yeah. don't even necessarily have to make all of our streets car free. But if we mm-hmm. slow down traffic enough to say 10, 15 miles an hour to where, you know, it's not useful as a through road, then you're going to see a significant reduction in the amount of cars that use that space. And you're also going to see noise go down because mm-hmm. when you reduce car speeds, you reduce the noise that they produce. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be much it, more pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things like traffic calming are huge for that. They'll make better open spaces on, you know, non-arterial streets. And then, you know, we can also, once we, you know, make or reduce the amount of vehicle traffic on these streets, we can test them out being car free too. Yep. Yeah. In uh, in Calgary, uh, related to what Nick was saying about these pilot projects about, hey, let's just shut it down and see. Uh, In Calgary, we've got 33rd Avenue, which is a very uh, busy, busy road. Uh, but they shut down uh, for a few Sundays each summer, and people are out. They're enjoying the summer. They're they've got markets set up there, uh, and it's a beautiful, great time. Uh, and then there's another street that's kind of like the nightlife street in Calgary, I guess you would say. Calgary doesn't have like a huge nightlife scene, but if you're looking for it, it's on 17th Avenue, um, and the businesses on 17th Avenue, kind of their business association there. They got together and they sent out a survey saying, hey, how would people feel if we 
shut down to car traffic sometimes. And of course, everybody, everybody was very excited because on 17th Avenue in the summers, what they'll do, they'll, they'll kind of route the sidewalk around into the parking spots and they will have patio dining for the restaurants along there. So the patio dining ends up taking up the, uh, taking up the sidewalk. So then the sidewalk ends up taking up the parking spots. But of course, while you're sitting on this patio, enjoying the weather, enjoying your food, you've got these loud cars racing by behind you. And so it's kind of created an environment where people say, you know what, let's let's just shut it down to car traffic. No cars allowed here anymore. It's driving us nuts. So hopefully this summer we'll see some piloting of that. And hopefully down the line, we'll see even more of that because what they're also doing is they're routing 17th Avenue into Stampede Grounds, and then it's going to go down uh, past the expanded uh, conference center that we have here in Calgary and past the uh, the new sports arena that will eventually be built as well. So it's going to create hopefully this really great event space uh, that is continuous and pedestrianized. So I'm optimistic for that. So we'll see how that goes. Sounds exciting. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I know um I know Vegas in like the nineties got pretty desperate to get people back to uh downtown Vegas, which is like the older part of Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um it's not on Las Vegas Boulevard, so it's not the Vegas strip you think of, but what they did was they the basically the old Vegas strip known as Fremont Street was fully pedestrianized in the nineties, and then they put a giant like sunshade slash led board above like a good like five blocks of the street and it became known as the fremont street experience Hmm. and so now that's become one of the biggest tourist destination points in vegas is the car free street that they made yeah like people people like being in these spaces and people come from all over uh, and they add it to the list of oh i've got to go there uh to this pedestrianized street Mm -hmm. so hopefully we can see more of that um, but you know, the business owners always say yeah. that their business is going to tank if there's no cars on the street. But of course, I hear this one from every single business owner. Yeah, and they're clearly they clearly must be right because you know all the data says they're wrong. But you know we got to listen to the business owners because they're clearly well, right on this and, one. And I, I want to legitimize <laughs> that fear a little bit because the the experience that they have is that that's how people have gotten to their business, right? And so if that's how people have gotten to their business so far, of course, they're going to be nervous about it. And so um, it is a bit of a, you know, it's it's nervous. I can understand why they're nervous to make that to make that jump. But of course, we have seen again and again that it does improve business for those for those businesses. You can more move more people by by bike and by foot and by transit than you can by car. And so they're also yeah. more likely to see your business and too. they're more likely to see your business because they're moving slower. Right. Um, and so, yeah, uh, it, it does Not because they're moving things. slower, too, but it's also because they're on a more human scale and yeah. they generally have that freedom to be like, hey, I don't need to go search for parking. I can either stop because I'm on foot or I'm on a bike. So I'll just swing it right around and then park yeah. it out front because it's a lot easier to park a bike yeah. anywhere that you feel like. And, and they have more money to spend at your shop. So, it's true exactly yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah and it's not I like it, not it'll work everywhere <laughs> it doesn't mean it's it's going to work in any place yeah. you just make like a pedestrian mall and it's going to be a success it that's not the case always uh i remember watching city beautiful uh, one of his videos a long time ago talking about that the success and failure of pedestrian malls and back then when they kind of swept the nation a lot of them failed but again that's kind of it's a different time. Things were going a different direction back then when we were really, mm-hmm. you know, the full experiment of car dependency really kicked off. So it, times are changing. But yeah, it's all it's also about accessibility, right? Yeah. Like if you built a pedestrian mm-hmm. mall in the middle of a farmer's field, of course, you know, of course, nobody's going to show up. Yeah. They can't get there. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it is important to remember, you know, um, are th- are these places where people walk? going to be accessible by other means of transportation. Yeah. And and also yeah. to mm-hmm. be fair to the business owners, owners, a lot of associations are becoming wise to the benefits of bike lanes and pedestrianization and what that does yeah. to business. And a lot of them are yeah. becoming in favor. So it's, that's I, good. Uh, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the, uh, it was the business improvement association of, uh, of 17th Avenue that put out the survey saying, Hey, you know, it wasn't a city initiative. Yeah. It was the businesses who actually 
su- suggested it. So not to, uh, not to keep on there. the sideline here, but yeah, Kansas City kind of did the same thing with their business. Um, they actually the reason the KC streetcar exists at all is because of a business improvement district. Really? Yeah. Um, I believe Detroit's in the same boat, too, but it essentially was a bunch of businesses decided to get together and form a spec or it was basically the downtown businesses voted to approve a special tax 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 district to fund the local streetcar because, you know, transit also benefits business, too. So essentially free streetcar, extra business tax, but more business to the businesses and higher property values. Right. That is super cool. Huh. Um, do we have additional thoughts on this, Nick, or are you, uh, you ready to get to your wug mug? I just want to say, let's try it. Just give it a try. Let's, let's get yeah. some pilots going. See how it goes. Perfect. That's all I want. Yeah. Uh, this is, it's more of, it's not really a wug mug. It kind of is a, what grinds my gears a little bit. So this is a story that I saw on global <laughs> news one morning when I woke up, my wife was watching the news and there was a, a story about, uh, a kid who got kicked off a bus. So this happened in the interior of BC. It's about halfway between Vancouver and Calgary. So uh, a child was put on a bus. I say child, a 15-year-old teenager was put on a bus in Vernon and was sent to their mother's house in Abbotsford. So that's, uh, I think, about a four, five-hour drive, something like that. And what happened was once that bus got to Kelowna, I think it's about I don't know, 40 minutes from Vernon, something like that. He had a transfer and they found out that he wasn't quote unquote old enough because they had changed their policy recently that anybody who was under the age of 16 unaccompanied was not allowed to ride in the bus. So they kicked him off the bus. To be fair, they waited with him until their parents could come pick them up from Vernon. The parents had to leave the work or whatever, screwed up their whole day to come pick them up and then drive them all the way to Abbotsford It just seems ridiculous. So this reminded me of another story that happened a while ago in Vancouver where this guy, Adrian Crook, he would just let his kids take the bus, like the city bus, the transit in Vancouver to school, four kids together. He got reported to the child's, uh, what's the, I can't remember the name of the association here in BC, but essentially child services were, were, somebody reported him to child services and they went after him, said, you cannot, not only can you not have your kids ride the bus alone. They can't be alone anytime, anywhere, if they are 10 years or or younger at all. So he fought them for years. This was back in 2017 and he finally won. And basically they had to backtrack everything, which is incredible. But it just, it just, you know what? It does grind my gears. It's ridiculous. We need to give kids freedom. It's ridiculous. Oh man. You know, no, they need to be sheltered in a suburban McMansion until they're 16 and then they can finally have the slightest taste of freedom by being able to work a minimum wage job and then get McDonald's after work. Yeah. That's the best you get. It is wild um, that we, you know, kids are expected to be chauffeured around forever until, until they can chauffeur themselves. Until they can drive. There's no experience with their own mobility freedom. And I remember like, Growing up in Calgary, uh, we have some we have some decent bike paths and and nature paths and stuff. And I'd go out on those with my friends on my own, right? Uh, and my my parents were good about that. My parents let us walk to the grocery store on our own, um, and and I was fortunate to be in an area that was walkable enough that I that I had that freedom. Um, but then to to kind of perpetuate uh, the the inability for kids to to be humans and individuals and to kind of experience the world on their own uh, and experience that mobility freedom, I don't. You're not helping anybody, right? You're not helping uh, the society, right? You're not helping create individuals who are capable of taking care of themselves and finding a way through the world if you're coddling them like this. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, I had a similar experience. I grew up in a small town. When we were ready for school, my mom would walk us to school for the first day. Like we're talking like kindergarten, grade one. And then it was like, there you go. You know how to get to school. And we would walk ourselves to school every day. Granted, it was only a few blocks away, but still we could be alone for that time and be responsible enough to get ourselves to school. And on the weekends or after school, we wanted to go play with our friends. We'd get on our bikes and we'd ride there and we'd go to the Mm -hmm. park. We 
got in trouble sometimes. My, I remember going riding down hills. My brother broke his arm. Things happen. But that's the experience of growing up and learning responsibility, learning how to take care of yourself and learning how to navigate the world. If you wait mm-hmm. for people to do that, well, we know where it, it, it leads to. It's been going on for the past, I don't know, how many years, 20 years. I'm sure Ethan, he's I don't know how he's even survived this far being a Gen Zer, so it's it surprised me. But <laughs> what we see is the differences between what Yikes. we have here in North America versus what we have in the Netherlands, where kids yeah. can just go off on their own. And I'm not saying the whole free range kid thing or whatever, but just having that responsibility to be able to take themselves to where they need to go is a huge yeah. part of growing up. And it it grinds my gears. That people get in the way of that. Like a 15-year-old can't get on the bus to go to his mom's house. Like it's just ridiculous. Like we've got we've got Nick yelling over there, like old man yeah. yells at <laughs> yeah, clap. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. But I'm getting old. I mean, yeah, I mean, growing up, my parents were were pretty I mean, when I became a teenager, or not even like like 12 years old, like, you know, like you can go down to the 7-Eleven or, you know, the jewels. I know all my Midwestern people understand what that is. And, you know, you can you can do all the basic stuff. But I I grew up with the privilege of living pretty close to a metro station in the Chicago suburbs, which is kind of like the go train Hmm. for the Canadian listeners for Chicago. I'm a little more ancient, but, you know, it's it's, it still does the job. And, you know, I could when I was like 17, 18, 16, I would go down to Chicago, you know, hang out with my friends there. But I mean, I also had the opportunity of living next to a really great bike system called the Illinois Prairie Path. And so I would, you know, get in date. I would get in like rides on the weekends and go down to Batavia, Illinois, which is like a super really nice little river town or St. Charles, Geneva. They're all really nice little river towns. But then I'd also go down to downtown Aurora, which was the city that I grew up in. And, you know, it's all they're all really nice and it had me, you know, get a good experience of, you know, existing independently by myself. Is that yeah. Aurora, Illinois? Yes, from Wayne, Wayne's World. Wayne Campbell's from Aurora. Yes. <laughs> Garth Elgar, oh, too. That's great. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, no, but it is a huge deal. That independence, that freedom for kids to to be able to experience the world uh, without without being kicked off of a bus. That sucks. That really, you know, that uh, at fifteen that, too. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A bit, it's a bit silly. I could see if like somebody put a five year old on the bus, they'd be like, "Uh, how'd you get on here in the first place?" But like fifteen right. years old is just, yeah, it's a bit too far. Yeah, yeah. Especially at fif- at fifteen, you can have your learner's license. Yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. Um. And Albert and in Alberta, it's fourteen. Right. Like you can you can start getting around. You can start operating a motor vehicle. If you can, you know, be trusted to drive on the road and to start learning to do that, I think you should be able to be trusted to navigate your way around a bus service. Yeah. You can fly alone too at that age as well, I think. Yeah, I think so. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that that's that that sucks. And I I, I think that's um I don't know, hopefully hopefully this experience has kind of helped people reconsider a little bit uh, about about how we're how we're treating um, the the young people in our in our society and and helping them navigate uh, the world. I hope so. Um, any Hopefully. other closing thoughts? Because that was the last thing on our agenda today. I don't know if I have any, but uh, no, it's it seems like we're getting one of the shortest episodes we've ever created, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, I mean, all I have to say is um, train good, car bad. That's about it. <laughs> you know, just just the just the classic line. You know what? Yeah. That could just be our, our tagline from here on out. Just end with train that. good, car bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> let's build that train to Banff. How about we? Um, and uh, yeah, I'll say thanks for listening. If you want to follow me, you can find me at Humane Cities on Instagram and YouTube. I promise, I promise, I promise, I'll have a video out. Uh, We're waiting. Soon. This week, this week, maybe. Who Eventually. Knows? Maybe at the same time as this this video. Maybe that's what I'll do tonight. I'll like power through. Oh, man. And, uh, so and I don't know video. if that got through on the mic. Um, that sounded like there was like thunder like three seconds away from me. Not even like it was like it was loud. Oh, I heard it was that. like a power flash of my house. Yeah. Um, it's like pouring in Vegas. <laughs> nice. We're barely getting nice. any rain here in Vancouver. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> well, Okay. Uh, send, send some moisture our way, Ethan. We could use some snow. There, I said it. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I said it. I said it. Or it looks like we're uh, getting snow. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> we're getting in in the mountains, so. But uh, Ethan, do you want to plug plug your stuff there before yeah, the I'll thunder? Yeah, I'll plug climate and transit too. Off? Before you know, I eventually get cut off by my own internet here. Um, yeah, climate and transit on pretty much every social media you can think of. I have a new video coming out this Friday. Hopefully, you guys are excited for that one. If there are any climate and transit fans in the audience, but yeah, new video coming out. Perfect. And Nick. Yeah, you can find me on YouTube at Nick Laporte or Nick the Door in other places. Fantastic. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Radio Free Urbanism. Until next time, uh, you know, go for a walk. Ride a bike. See ya. This show is made possible by listeners like you. For more episodes, find us on your favorite podcatcher or on YouTube at Radio Free Urbanism. 